Father, we thank you that um, you are the ultimate caller of people. And Lord God, we all are here right now because you've called us. So God, we thank you for calling us. You didn't have to, but you did. And so we connect and we stand waiting. We stand in position. We stand posted as your team. And so, God, we just want to gather as saints today to just bless your name. But now we're diving into the scriptures um, to bless your name through the listening and hearing and application of the scriptures. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, God, my strength and my redeemer in whom I trust. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Let's big up God real quick. Let's big up God. Uh, we've been going through the book of John, um, and I've been just excited about seeing the distance um, that still exists between me and Jesus. There's so much about him that rocks me. Um, there's so much about him that blows me away. That as I, as I study him even more, I've read the book of John countless amount of times in my Christian life. And I'm still yet to get to know him better. Um, as we've been going through John, we've been talking about Jesus Christ unplugged as an overarching uh, theme of this book because we, we want to know Jesus better and we want to unplug from everybody else's philosophy of Jesus and we want to plug into our, his philosophy of himself and let him pour that reality into us. So many times there's so many voices that are around us that are attempting to, to plug us into their view of who Christ is. But what we want to do as we go through the book of John is to be impacted by the truth of what it means to plug in to Jesus talking about himself in first person. So last week, of course, we talked about vital signs. And this week we're going to talk uh, uh, along the same lines, but go a little deeper into what um, vital signs have to do with and how the beginning and birth of vital signs actually take place. Um, it kind of reminds me of a movie. As y'all know, I like movies. And um, it's a movie that came out a few years ago, I guess 2004, called Signs. How many of y'all saw that movie? Signs. It was a trip. And, and I, I like my man. I can't remember his name. I can't pronounce his name. But um, what's his name? D there y'all go. There y'all go. That's his name. I, I, li I like his movies because they always um, have a, a, a banging elements in it that um, aren't, aren't intensively gore or anything. But he keeps you on the edge of your seats. And, and, and intensified by the process of what he's trying to show you. So you want to pay attention because after the sixth sense, everybody was like, next time this dude do a movie, I'm paying attention. And so I, I, saw, I saw this movie, Signs. At first I was like, man, it's another movie about aliens. But it was a wonderful movie. And what I liked about this movie is it was about a, a, a guy that was a former priest who basically um, thought God was no longer active in his life anymore. And because he thought God wasn't active in his life anymore, he backed up um, from the Lord and said, man, you know what? It's a wrap for me. I'm going to just take the civilian lifestyle, and, and, I'm, and I'm not going to be involved in, in, in ministry anymore. I'm going to just, just pull, peel back from this thing. But during the course of the movie, 
Um, you see the title of the movie all the way through the movie. Um, you see all the way at the end when things come together that there were points in times within the movie where they sh- shot my man, the night, the dude, um, emphasizes signs to this priest. Emphasized like these alien beings that, that came around and it was water that was put all out and he was wondering why the water was put out, but the water was the only thing that could take care of these things. Then while one of them was going to kill his son by, 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 by injecting and is making him uh, sniff some bad stuff because he was wondering why his, why this young, young boy had asthma so bad. And the reason why was when the thing came out with the dust to get in his uh, mind and his heart to, to kill him, basically he was unable to sniff because he was having an asthma attack. And what's so banging about that movie? And what's so dope about that movie is it has so much to do with what Jesus is going to talk to us about today. Signs. Signs. We live in an interesting society, especially church society, where everybody's seeking a sign. Everybody wants a sign. Everybody wants a sign to know whether or not God is really doing something in their life. People want signs to know whether or not God's hand is on them. People want want signs from God to know whether or not they're on the right track. People want signs, signs, signs. And in this book, in this latter portion, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend a little bit of time in the latter portion of chapter 2 before we jump into chapter 3 because Jesus begins to show how he feels about people and their desire for signs. And his desire, his desire he, he wants signs to be a proper pointer to something. But many times, the more signs we get, the more signs we want. And we never get a chance to grab a hold of the very thing that the signs were pointing us to. And so Jesus, it it reads here, John gives a little commentary at the end of chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. We're going to get into chapter 3. But what's beautiful, and I'm going to take my time with this. And what's beautiful about this is it's as if um, John is writing a stage play. And it's as if Jesus is tearing up the temple like we were talking about last week. He's tearing the temple apart because of his frustration with the lack of vital signs among his people, the Jews. And then the scene kind of fades with Jesus teaching, saying, this is the purpose of my father's house. This is not the purpose of my father's house. And then they ask him questions. And then the scene fades away. And in verse 23, it says, now when he was in Jerusalem, it's after this, a narrator, John stands on the stage as a narrator, everything dark around him, after this crazy scene of Jesus doing what he did, and he says, now, like an Alfred Hitchcock movie. When he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, beholding his signs, which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. (laughs) And because he did not need anyone to bear witness concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus did a bunch of miraculous signs to affirm who he was. 
But the issue is, is that people were connecting more closely to the signs that Jesus was giving them than connecting the signs to Jesus. And so the content of their faith was in believing in his name. They weren't believing on his name based on the content of his name that we saw his disciples pull out in in the earlier part of chapter two. No, they were only connecting to the signs. And it says that the people that only connect to signs, the people that only connect to provision, the people that only connect to cake, the people that only connect to healing, the people that only connect to the things that are physical but never attach those things to Jesus, Jesus doesn't trust them. Jesus, the Bible says that they were trusting in his name, But he didn't entrust himself to them. In other words, Jesus was not making himself available to anybody that didn't get it. And many times in our life and many times in our society, many of us, God has called us to do some things. And this is this has intensive uh, impact on us understanding the rest of this because it's going to go into the Nicodemus section. But many times in our lives, many of us in this place have wanted signs. Lord, wet the fleece for me. And God wets the fleece. Okay, God, make one of my teeth get loose. Okay, God, if you want me to go around the corner, when I step to the corner, let the wind blow to the left. And if I, I mean, I guarantee God, if the wind blows to the left, I'll follow you this time. I mean, all of us it, are, are extremely frail. And I don't like the fact that the culture of church has built itself internationally around signs only. And so people come to see signs and quote unquote miracles, which is nothing wrong with signs and miracles. Like people are always saying, come to our service. We're going to have a miracle working service on this front. Now, first off, telling you when a miracle is going to happen, that's number one. And if a miracle is always supposed to happen, that means it is not really a miracle. Because a miracle is something that doesn't always happen But when it does happen, it blows you off the top. But if a miracle is normal, then that means it's natural. And the thing that makes a sign or a miracle dope is it blows your mind at the fact that there are certain natural laws that are set up. And because there are natural laws that are set up, God somehow supernaturally invades from from eternity to time and mixes up the landscape of scientific discovery and causes something to happen that no one ever seen before. then you can be able to put your eye on it and say, oh, that had to be God. But not just saying that it had to be God but and just saying that, but then responding properly to that. And so Jesus didn't just do signs just to do signs. He did signs with a purpose. And so one of the things that we need to look at today as believers, is we need to begin to grow up in our understanding of the Christian life. What does that mean? Is that the more you grow spiritually, the less you need God to overwhelmingly and show, show you in order to move forward. See, I have to see, 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 listen, if, if you need all of the same things, see, God does some unique things when you're a babe in Christ and when, and when you're real young in Christ and you ask some crazy old stuff and God just does it. 
You know, you just ask some old crazy stuff. I used to ask for crazy stuff. And, and the Lord, and Lord, help me hiccup three times and I'll go, you know, just all types of stuff. And what's so funny is God would meet me in those places. But then as I began to grow up in the faith, I began to not get to pull God's string like I used to. I said, God, I need now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't show you anything, any signs or any particulars or the journey. But what happens is, as you grow spiritually and as you develop, then you need less in order to survive on knowing that God said something to you. And so Jesus talks about the fact, it says, it says, and it was during the Passover and he would, they were beholding his signs, which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them. It says because he knew what he knew all men. Now this is important to Jesus's ability to know people's hearts because Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. When you look back in the earlier part of chapter 2, you saw Nathaniel and he said, "Nathaniel, I saw you while you was chilling under the under the fig tree. I saw you while you were just kicking it." And he was like, "Oh man, you got to be the son of God." Proper response. But then Jesus through John begins to show us how Jesus feels about men. And he says, because he knew that when they said that they believed in his name, however, Jesus Christ sovereignly knew, based on his understanding of the depravity and jacked upness of man, whether or not true change actually took place in their life. And God wants, God wants things, when, when God sends these things our way, he doesn't just want it to be things that just keep us wanting for more. And we're going to see this all the way through the book of John. But he wants to see proper life change. And then it says, and because he did not need anyone to bear witness concerning man. In other words, Jesus already knew what human beings were like. And since Jesus Christ knew what human beings were like, he wasn't totally entrusting himself to him. He says, for he himself knew what was in man. Follow that. He says man in verse 25 twice. But then he comes into a new section, and now he introduces a new scene, and the lights come up on the stage of this gospel. And now there's a new dude on the scene that Jesus, God wants through John to introduce us to, and his name is Nicodemus. And it says, now there was a man. Now, right here... Nicodemus becomes the personification of what Jesus doesn't entrust himself to. In other words, he's showing you now, John says, I gave you kind of like the overarching principle. Now I want to dive you into the reasoning behind why Jesus wasn't entrusting himself to these people. Are you with me? He says, now there was a man of the Pharisees. Stop right there. Pharisees. The Pharisees were, they, they, they got kind of got like a bad rap. But let, let's, let's give a little understanding of, of these cats called the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a group of people that were frustrated with the lack of moral purity within the, um, not moral purity, but ceremonial purity that it was in, among the Jews. If you look up into the book of Malachi and you read the book of Malachi from chapter 1 to chapter 3, one of God's biggest beefs that um, he had with, um, with, with his people was that they weren't properly approaching him. And so the Pharisees was one of those groups that they became intensely passionate about making sure that every Everything was done ceremonially right. 
And so they wanted to honor God's law by making sure that things were ceremonially right. But the thing that was messed up about the Pharisees is while they were making sure that the external things were right, they weren't making sure that internal things were right. And so Jesus has a cat coming to him, and he knows his background. You know, this guy tithes. He's a rich dude. He has loot. Then it says that he was a ruler of the Jews, which means that he was on a group called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a group of Jewish leaders which acted, and it, was a, it would never went over about 70 or 71 men. And what they would do is they were the leaders. These were the actual group of, group of men who voted Jesus as not the Messiah and him to be crucified on the cross. Jesus not entrusting himself to them. The Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin, so this guy was not only a Pharisee, he, he, was a, he was a part of the governing body that ruled the Jews. He was a part of the Sanhedrin, an intensive group of men who, who, who oversaw all of the aspects of judgment in the, among the Jews, just like uh, they saw themselves in the position of the guys in Deuteronomy and Exodus who took the place of Moses in judging the people. They saw themselves that way, this governing body of people. And it says, and this man came to Jesus by night. Now, remember, this is narrative literature. And because this is narrative literature, there are, there are plays on words all the way through, coming to him by night and Jesus being there. If you go back to chapter 1, when you go back to chapter 1, it says, um, in, in, verse five, in verse 4, it says, In him was life, and this life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Verse 9, there was, a, there was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own received him not. Then you go over here, and it says, And the, this man came to him by night. So it's pointing to the imagery, not just of what, what, that it was a nocturnal environment, that the moon was up and the sun was tucked away, but it's pointing to the spiritual condition of Nicodemus and the spiritual condition of God's people and, and, and showing the fact that Jesus was there at night, him being the light that's in the midst of the night, that this man that's wrapped up in darkness came to as a light. And so, and so it uses this imagery to point us out of the spiritual depravity and intensive darkness of what's going on. And so he goes further and he says, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So several things. It's interesting. Jesus never had any education. Jesus was a carpenter. Jesus was a dude that was grimy, working. He had splinters, got a bunch of splinters in his fingers from working on woodwork. I mean, had his hair up, you know, working on sweating, doing mad work. And But now he's calling Jesus rabbi. And he's not calling him rabbi out of funniness. He says, man, this cat has been spitting some stuff that's been off the chain and on a whole nother level in relation to what, because in our whole, in the way we study, he says, we've been memorizing the law for years. We've been under student. We've been under teaching. And we, we, but, but man, something about you, you got to come from God because of these signs. All this is going somewhere. Then he goes in verse 3 and he says, Jesus answered and said to him, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is, this is, this is today for us, for us to focus in on salvation from an internal standpoint. Because now Jesus hears Nicodemus' voice. Here's this cat talking, smack out his mouth about him being a teacher and about signs. And Jesus points out the fact that you're still missing it. Jesus says, all right, cut, to the, cut the bull. You got to be born again. What's banging about Jesus is Jesus can always see beyond the superficiality in our tongue and go into the nooks and crannies of our heart and answer the issues that we're not even asking him. And right here, Nicodemus gets firsthand what it means to get an encounter with Jesus on a whole nother level that's beyond just your memorization of the Torah, just your memorization of the prophets, just your memorization of the Psalms and all of those different things. And now he says, bottom line, there's more to this than you, there's more to my signs and there's more to me than meets the eye. You got to be born again. And he says, unless you've been born again, you can't see. I like that. The kingdom of God. Let's, let's, let's point out, John doesn't use the kingdom of God many times in the book of John. He only uses it here. But what's interesting is he connects it to being born again. Being a born again can be translated being born from above. In other words, being born from a supernatural vice. But he says, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. If you go back and you look in chapter um, 2, verses, verse 50, it says, Jesus answered and said to him, he says, because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do, do you um, believe you shall see greater things than these. He says, and he said to him, truly I say to you, you shall see the heavens opened and the angels of God descending and ascending on the Son of Man. Jesus points, utilizes this understanding of the kingdom of God. John is pointing us to, he's saying you can't see the kingdom. Now understand this, he's not just talking about the kingdom that is going to come one day when Jesus sets up shop, but he's talking about being able to recognize the work of God right Right now, to see the kingdom, to be able to look around you and say, man, God's doing something over there. Man, look over here and say, man, God is up to something over there. But he says, right now, you're blinded and you can't see that I'm up to something. God is always trying to catch our attention to make sure that we see that he's up to something, not so that we can be wild as if it's just a commercial, another commercial like during the Super Bowl to be, we're going to watch the Super Bowl so we can just see the commercials. Even though we don't like the teens right now, we're just going to watch the commercials. Now, he said, nah, don't watch these commercials as a non-consumer. Watch these commercials as a consumer. And so he says, you won't be able to recognize the kingdom unless you're born again. And I know you've been waiting for me to give the kingdom to you. But God has to start everything in your life over again. When a person trusts Jesus Christ as their Savior, God starts their life over again. God starts their life over again. But many times, even though God positionally starts us over again, many of us don't feel like practically things have been started over. 
in this room, some of you are still, and, th- and this is what God has us focusing in on, because in verse 5, he's going to pull it out in a deep way to get us. And some of you who have been with us for a while, you've heard this next part that I'm going to spill, but I, wa- I want you to pay close attention um, to how Jesus utilizes um, born again to apply to people that aren't disciples and people that are disciples. He says, after he says, you, you can't see the kingdom of, of God, he says, and Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old. He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. Can he? And it says, and Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you're born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This is a deep verse. We're going to spend a minute on this. Many people have misunderstood I believe this verse, Um, when Jesus talks about being born of water and being born of spirit, being born of water, some people think of it as merely baptism, baptism, being John's baptism, or they think of it as Christian baptism. You have to be baptized in order to be born again. Others think of it as the mother, the woman giving childbirth. And when she gives, when she's about to give birth, her water breaks and you're born through water based on her water breaking. And then based on her water breaking, you come in and that's first birth and then being born of the spirit is second birth. I don't believe that's what Jesus is saying here. Because Jesus says later, you are a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things which I'm telling you. So basically what he's telling Nicodemus is based on the Old Testament. You should understand what it means to be born again. You should be able to look at the law. You should be able to look at the prophets. And you should be able to look at the writings and see what that means. Hold your finger there and turn over to Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel chapter 36. Verse 25 through 27. Verses 25 through 27. He says, then I will sprinkle you clean with clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. When Jesus says this, Jesus probably has in mind this being the inauguration of the new covenant. And let's, uh, what I want to spend a few minutes talking about is the beauty of the new covenant and what comes um, available to the believer through being born again. Are you with me still? He says you must be born of water and of spirit. Now notice here that he says, and I will sprinkle you clean with water. This is the word I believe is talking about. He says, unless you're washed and unless you're cleansed from your sinfulness, water, being born of the spirit, God takes the old self. The Bible says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, 
but Christ who lives within me. So when you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, you immediately die. And God removes that crucified, dead, unconnected spirit out of you and re-blows the breath of life into you. And when he re-blows the breath of life into you, it gives you certain faculties that you did not formerly have. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it says, we used to indulge in the lust of the mind. The Bible says in the Old Testament that the heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? The Bible says, and we'll talk about all this in a second. And then it talks about during the fall over in Genesis 2, 25, how when we fell when we became ashamed something happened to our emotions and passions and so Jesus when we're talking about being born again in Jesus renewing every single thing in the universe the first thing he wanted to renew is human beings and he says and I will take the hearts of stone out of you I want to spend some time here and put the hearts of flesh in you In the Hebrew mindset, there were three things that would come to mind when you would hear heart. You would hear mind, you would hear emotions, and you would hear will. Will. When you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your fallen mind is replaced with the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16 Not only that, but the jacked up passions that you had, the jacked up emotions that you had is removed even though you have the memories and he puts into you new emotions. Not only that, he takes away the old will, which wasn't really a will because the only thing we had was a propensity towards evil. So now he it's not that he gives us a new will. He gives us the absolute ability by his grace to be able to have the ability to choose something other than sin. Now, let's look at mind. God wants to redeem our minds. He wants to redeem our minds. When you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that means God wants to give you a new start in how you think about him and how you approach him. Remember, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 said, Before we trusted Christ, our minds were blinded and not able to see the gospel. What is the gospel? Everything fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and his redemption and redeeming all things. Our ability to recognize and see that. Our ability to recognize God's holiness. When we're fallen, we can't recognize the holiness of God. But when we trust Jesus Christ, now we can recognize the holiness of God. We didn't know how to appraise things, but God gives us the ability to have an appraisal value. It's just like on, um, I forgot that, 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 um, I forgot what that, that network is. That, that, uh, it's like a low-budget joint, like the Sesame Street and all that come on. But it's a thing that always come on. These dudes sit on the stoop, and, 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 and people come through with, with, with all of these relics. You know, they come in with stuff that's just all chiseled up nice. They come in with crystal. They'll come in with wood tables. They'll come in with all types of things. And this person sits down on the stoop. This dude always has on a real tight suit. 
um, is Ty Bailey on and got glasses on. But he, I mean, I don't understand how those cats know how much stuff works. And so what they do is they, they come through. People are just standing in line for days. And people come up and they're able, when they come up with a the thing, they said, well, how long have you hired it? You know, they're from England, whatever. No, no offense. They say, well, I, my grandmother gave this to me, um, and it's been in our family for years. And they'll break down this whole story. You know, and he'll mess around and say, $2, two, two dollars. That's not worth nothing. Um, you can throw it in the trash, sell it at the yard sale. But every time, every now and then, somebody will come through there with some things that are worth something. And it amazes me. I mean, do you know, I mean, these dudes know what type of molding was done during the 1920s to the, I mean, they know all of these different intricacies so that they can know a time period and a span and different genres, whether it's crystals, whether it's a lamp, whether it's a toy, whether it's a book. Them cats can tell you a, a, a range of how much that thing is worth. When we trust Christ as our Lord and Savior, we be able, we are now able to properly appraise and value things. But what's amazing to me as us as Christians is we underutilize our ability to, to, to value the things of God and devalue the things that are not of God. So God is calling us. When you're born again, God calls you to have a new set of values, the way you think about things, the way you approach things. Because when we trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that doesn't mean that we think eternally like Jesus in all of his godness. No, it means that we have the growing ability to have the capacity to understand and develop and deposit in our minds truth. See, when we trust Christ, God doesn't just put his word inside of us. That's why we have to hide his word inside of us. And because we have to hide his word inside us, then the spirit of God works in our minds and gives us a unique ability to chop things up, to make sense of things based on God rebooting our minds. And now not only just rebooting our minds, but depositing in our souls a desire and a passion and a zeal to embrace these new values. That's the emotions. See, Adam and Eve, it says, and they were naked and not ashamed. Because of that, the assumption is that when they fell, they were no longer in their minds unashamed. They were ashamed now of being naked, baggage, emotional baggage. The heart is also where the seat of our passions lie, what we like, what we dislike, what drives us, what frustrates us, hurts from our past, things in our life that have, have had a deep sociological impact on how we treat life today. Emotions. God wants to renew our value system the way we think, but not only that, he wants to renew our passions. God wants to start over and brand, in a brand new way, reboot how we desire. But this is the issue. Many times as Christians, we underutilize that area of our life. And we put ourselves in situations, listen, that are substandard to the values of the new mind causing new hurts and new pains and new damage to our emotions. 
And so what happens is, is instead of enjoying the beauty of being born again, we work against all that comes in Jesus Christ from being born again. Let me tell you something. I'm sick. I'm going to tell you something I'm sick of. I'm sick of counseling people on relationships with people they know they're not supposed to be with. I mean, you sit with me and you break it down. I mean, you chop, you done told me everything that was raggedy. And so I'm sitting up like, well, council session over. I mean, you know what I'm saying? What, what I need to say. But see, what happens is, is you, when you reactivate past passions, what will happen is, 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 and this is the best illustration I can use for, for, for passions, is what happens is, is you begin to move around the use of the new mind, and you begin to re-up and re-energize past passions that make you overlook biblical values. And when you begin to overlook biblical values, you can't see the kingdom of God. You can't see it anymore. You can't see the kingdom anymore. The kingdom becomes blurred because, and it's not just in that. Many of us have deep passions for certain jobs. Some of you are in college right now because you know, shoot, when I get there, I'm going to have, I'm telling you, I'm living in this type of house. I'm going to have this type of loot. Passions. You got type of passions, all types of passions and, and, and desires. And let me tell you something. Evil passions are like, uh, um, they, they never, they never, they never have enough to eat. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, they never have enough to eat. And the more you feed them, the more blurred the kingdom becomes. Then you come, then you come to the body, you say, y'all pray for me. Y'all pray for me because, you know what I'm saying, I'm trying to discern the will of God. Okay. Let's lay some stuff out now. What's going on in your life? This blurring, because sometimes it's not that God isn't showing you what his will is or he hasn't already. Most 90% of the people that come to, come to anybody in here about seeking the will of God, God has already shown it to them. But what happens is, it's not that, it's not that God hasn't shown it to you, you frustrated. And because you've been bathing in fallen passions for so long, that you're no longer able to be married to the heart of God anymore. Be born again. You must be born again. In every area of our life, I'm always scared of my passions. Our generation, we're a passionate group of people. Beautiful passions. Even the generation before us, the black power movement and the, and the 60s hippies movement, passionate people. I mean, you got to be passionate to leave your house and let your hair just grow with the same clothes on, going to the bathroom, not washing, smoking weed, sitting out on a stoop with flowers in your head. Passionate. You got to be passionate for that. Passionate. <laughs> 
Every one of us has a passion, and everybody, I guarantee you, if you survey your life right now, somebody in here, every one of you, has a passion that you're struggling with right now. And it's blurring, and the reason why many of us have still been lacking spiritual vitality in our lives is because of our passions that we've clung to and we refuse to get rid of, and because we refuse to submit them to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ over again, not to get saved again, but for him to rewash and rewire that particular area of your passions again. And he's waiting to do it. He's waiting to do it. You don't need another counseling session. You don't need to read five more books on five ways to success. You don't need to read another book on the power of positive thinking. No, no. You need your passions redeemed. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Heart, there's that word again. When you abide in the living God, in being born again, nutrients get pumped into your soul. And when those nutrients get pumped into your soul, God begins to reinform your mind, your emotions, and your will. And when he does that epiphany, when he does that, people of God, when he does that, church of God, when you walk away still connected to God, you might have went in with raggedy desires. But now your heart's desires are married to God's desires. And God is waiting today. God is waiting today. God is so passionate for you. He's, I mean, he's zealous for his glory, but his zeal for himself and his love of himself causes him to be absolutely passionate about those who he's called to represent himself. And he wants to re-up your passions. He wants to dethrone different things that have been intensively occupying your desires. There are different pains that you've went to. Some of you have failed sexually recently. Some of you have lied deeply recently. Some of you have been raped. Some of you have been molested. But when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about being born again, he's not talking about some phony ceremonies. That's not what he's talking about. He says, look. There's a lot that's happened to you. But what I want to do is I want to come in and wash away the effects that they have on you. You'll remember them because I want them to be a ministry to somebody. I didn't mean to spend this much time on this. But, but God, oh, I want to cry right now. I mean, and, and I'm all, I mean, as, as, as me, I'm always dealing with passions that I have. Because it's, it's hard trying to walk real with God. See, when you want to walk real with God and you see people that seem seemingly free and not walking with him, you become frustrated. And what you say is, God, I want to be free like that. Because it seems that daily my passions are plagued with you. Plagued with you. Then every now and then he'll remind us by a beautiful little sign 
a beautiful little sign that even though the grass looks green over there, you're still going on the right track. Somebody needed to know that this morning. Somebody needed to know that this morning. And so, and God wanted to, because your passions cannot be redeemed unless your mind has been redeemed. Telling you, I'm telling you, because passions come from values. Let me say that again. Passions come from values and values come from information that was deposited in your mind. But not only that, the heart is mind, emotions, and will. The last thing that God wants to redeem is God wants to redeem our will. God wants to redeem our own personal desires. In other words, us going the proper direction with him. But then he goes further with Nicodemus. He says, he says unless someone is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. But then he goes, and I'm going to get ready to stop here. He says, that which is born of flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Many misinterpret flesh here to mean evil desires. That's, that's, not, what, that's not what the point of this is. Jesus is showing Nicodemus that which is born by physical birth can only give forth physical things. Because Nicodemus is asking, how can a man enter into his mama's womb again? And he says, listen, even if that was the way to be born again, even if you're reborn again, you're still going to be born with a jacked up nature. So it gives birth to the same thing. But he says, but that which is born of the Holy Spirit is spirit. That means you're reconnected. It means you're reconnected. Somebody here today has never been connected. Somebody here, you've never been connected to Jesus Christ before. You come to church, you've enjoyed the signs and wonders of what comes from being near the kingdom. Because notice in the text, he says, be born, you must be born again in order to see the kingdom. That means to recognize the kingdom. But then he says, when you're born of water and spirit, not only do you see the kingdom, but you can enter the kingdom. Somebody today needs to enter the kingdom. And somebody else today You'll need to get saved again because we believe if you got saved, you trusted Jesus Christ, you're saved, you're saved. But some of us still that are saved need to re-enter the kingdom. We need to re-enter the kingdom. What is the kingdom? God's comprehensive rule over all things. And guess what we are? We're one of those things. So now we need to resubmit to God's rule in our life. That's all I wanted to say today. Nothing much. Let's bow our heads.